last week when I was cleaning out my mother's house, I emptied out a 100-year-old buffet uh, from the dining room set that had belonged to my great-grandmother. And in this buffet, I found a rather heavy wooden box looked to be made of mahogany. And I'd never seen this box before, so I didn't know what was in it. So I was very excited to open the box. I opened the box, and to my surprise and my excitement, I found that it was filled with almost 100 pieces of beautiful silverware. Each piece was still individually wrapped in its individual place, in its cellophane paper. Also in the box were several certificates testifying to the authenticity of this silver. There were directions on how to clean silver when it tarnishes and how to prevent it from tarnishing in the first place. So I thought, what will this unopened, never ever before used silver be worth? And so I quickly pulled out my phone and I typed in the name that I had seen on the certificate, Nobility Silverware. Guess how much it's worth? $79. I took my phone and I shook it as if it had made a mistake. And I Googled again and I scrolled down further. And okay, I found $129. So much for paying off the sanctuary. I would have done that. In my excitement, I'd overlooked one little word in the paperwork. And that word was plate, P-L-A-T-E. It was nobility plate silverware. It wasn't true silver at all. It was beautiful, but in reality, it was some cheap metal covered with silver. I was so disappointed. I'd allow myself to be deceived, seeing only what was convenient to see. The silver wasn't really silver. But that moment became a convicting spiritual moment for me because I began to ponder my own life, the lives of so many people who call themselves Christians and to wonder how often we allow ourselves to be deceived and to remain deceived about who we are really supposed to be as believers in Christ, as his disciples, the the silver-plated version that doesn't go to the core of our being is often easier, it's often more convenient, and often requires less of us, but it misses the deep reality of who we're supposed to be. The silver-plated version of belief, the silver-plated version of discipleship doesn't have much value to our own lives and doesn't make much of a difference for Christ's kingdom here and in this world that so desperately needs Jesus. David writes in Psalm 51, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. God isn't looking for silver plate. He delights when we are true in the core of our being. Therefore, you and I must not be deceived into being silver-plated Christians. That's what I want us to talk about as we come this morning to John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. 
And when you found your place in John chapter 8, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear, read together, the word of the living God. From the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 31, this is the word of the Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask now that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Give us understanding, Lord, of these very real and true events that happened in real time among real people. And from this truth in your word, Lord, through the power of your spirit, change us. Make us true in our inner being, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Just a word of warning as we begin. Jesus' words in this passage, they are very pointed. They become the sword that Scripture says that the Word of God is and ever will be. They, they cut us. They cut through our pride. They cut through our self-deception. They require everyone who hears them to assess their own lives and to truly ask, where and how am I a silver-plated Christian? The good news is that Jesus wouldn't do this if we didn't need it, but he knows that we need for him to be direct. And so here we go. In order that you and I should not be silver-plated Christians, we have to understand something about ourselves, something that most of us are too proud to believe. And that is that you and I can be deceived. You and I can be deceived. Now, we believe that only the gullible people fall prey to deception. And few of us here would consider ourselves really gullible. Other people are gullible, bless their hearts, but not us. But don't be deceived. You and I can be deceived. Deception is Satan's oldest trick. In Genesis chapter 3, God comes to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden just after they have committed that first ever fateful, fatal sin. And God said to Eve, what is this that you have done? And she answered, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Look, Eve isn't lying here. She truly was deceived. This one who had never sinned, this one who walked and talked 
with God himself in the coolness of the day, this one who lived in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, after listening to Satan, entertained the false hope that there was something better for her, something God was withholding from her. And through this deception of Satan, Eve was cheated out of the good things that God had already given to her and promised to continue to give to her. The Apostle Paul uses the Greek word, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word from Genesis 3, when he writes in Romans 7, for sin, seizing an opportunity, deceived me. Listen, Paul himself was deceived into believing something false about God. What God said wasn't true. He was deceived. Deception is powerful and none of us is immune to it. One more example. This from Deuteronomy chapter 11. God's people are preparing at long last to enter into the promised land. And God says this to them. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. In this instance, the word deceive means to be inexpert, to be gullible. Eve was deceived. Paul was deceived. God knows that all of his people are susceptible to being deceived. If any one of us believe that we are beyond being deceived, we are deceived. We don't know the truth of our own hearts. We don't know the power of our great enemy who seeks only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Don't be deceived. We just sang our ancient foe. He seeks to work us woe. His craft, his power are great. He rages against us. You and I are not equal to him and our own strength. And so we must come humbly to Christ humbly to the word of God, even to this teaching of Jesus that's before us this morning. Throughout this teaching in this passage, Jesus clearly presents what is true, what is real, and also the silver plate thing that is not true, the thing that results from deception. That stands in silent but stark relief. So we were going to look at three questions this morning, going to look at three questions. What is true belief? What is a true disciple? And what is true freedom? Now, the irony of this is that clearly I chose this passage on this 4th of July weekend because freedom is on our minds. In these famous verses on freedom, Jesus draws a distinction between a true freedom and a false freedom. But that truth is going to have to wait until next week. We don't have time for it this morning because I absolutely cannot shortchange this great truth about what it means to be free in Christ. But do this tomorrow as you're eating your hamburger and enjoying the fireworks. Ponder these questions. What is true freedom? What does it mean to be free in Christ? Do you have more hope in and place more value on political freedom than you do on the true freedom that Christ gives. 
And Lord willing, we'll delve in more to those questions next week. This morning, for the rest of our time, we're going to look at just two questions. The first one is, what is true belief? You and I call ourselves believers in Christ. So we must not be deceived about what true belief is. So if you'll follow along with me and keep your Bibles open, because we're going to refer to some verses that were outside of our reading this morning. But first look with me in verse 30 and 31. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So here is some sort of belief. Now look in verse 40. Jesus says, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Look in verse 45. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Verse 48. The Jews said to Jesus, You have a demon. And finally, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. This is a tragic trajectory. In the course of Jesus' teaching, in these 29 verses, we witness this downward spiral that begins with belief in Jesus and ends with wanting to pick up stones and kill him. From belief to murder. On some level, these people were believers. They had assented to what Jesus taught in the previous chapters on the last and great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. In some way, they believed Jesus when he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In some way, they believed what Jesus said when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But it wasn't true to the core belief. And so if we're honest, these verses are a little bit disturbing to us. Who so often seek to get just a verbal assent from people. Oh, I believe in Jesus. And so what happens here in this trajectory that we see forces us to think deeply about what belief is. Do not be deceived. True belief must be more than a verbal claim. Don't be deceived. True belief must be more than an intellectual assent. Don't be deceived. True belief must be motivated by more than some selfish personal gain. People easily make claims. And they believe those claims until it costs them something. Jesus seeks inward being belief. We see the same tragic trajectory back in John chapter 6. Jesus feeds more than 5,000 people with the five loaves and the two fish. And they believe, they believe. They want to make him king over them. But by the end of the next day, after Jesus calls from them for a belief that is so deep and so intimate in the inward being, 
that he compares it to eating his flesh and drinking his blood, the quote-unquote believers say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. From belief to departure. In John 12, we read this. Many of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They were not willing to pay the price that true faith demanded. In the New Testament, Christians were required to bow before a person the emperor, to worship him. They were required to bow before the pantheon of Roman gods and worship. For many, true belief in Christ led to martyrdom. In our day, we're seeing that we will not be required to bow before an idol or an emperor but instead before secular ideologies. You know it's true. Less and less we are able to embrace our own biblical ideologies. More and more no place is granted for any ideology that does not agree with the critical theory of the day, whatever that theory may be, whether it be on race or sexuality or gender or life. We're even seeing that even acknowledging or assenting to these ideologies is not enough. No, we are being called and required to celebrate them, to celebrate. Many of those in leadership over us openly and unapologetically defy God and they defy his word. Those who defy the ones who defy God might very well be called to pay the price. Now listen, we have the full armor of God, and I try to put it on every day. So I'm ready for the labels. I'm ready for, oh, Craig, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Oh, Craig, you fox newser. In reality, I'm neither of those, but I will tell you this that I would be remiss as a pastor not to call our attention to the times in which we live. I would be remiss not to seek to prepare us now. I would be remiss not to delve into what true belief is and what it requires of us now. I would be remiss not to call us to deepen our belief now because, listen, Only true belief will sustain us in the days ahead. Do not be deceived. True belief is more than proclamation and more than intellectual assent. We proclaimed this morning what we believed, the Scots Confession. We proclaimed majestic things about Christ, mysterious things about Christ, and now... Intimacy with and commitment to Christ must 
accompany those words. That's where true belief lies. And I pray that because of his grace, and it is all of his grace, that he grants that no one here, no one in this room, follows this tragic trajectory that we see in these verses before us. We pray, I pray that that our belief by the grace of God may become deep and real and to the core of our being. Let's move on to the second question. What's a true disciple? We can't be deceived about what a true disciple is, especially in light of the fact that true and lasting belief results from being a true disciple. Look in the second half of verse 31. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So look at what Jesus is suggesting here. That there is what is called a disciple, what looks like a disciple, but what is not truly a disciple, it's a silver-plated disciple. And so in order to expose that deception, Jesus uses the word truly truly my disciple. Not nominally my disciple, but truly my disciple. The word indicates what actually is so, what really is. To refer back to the John 6 passage, thousands called themselves disciples, but few of them actually were. So let's define disciple so we're all clear. A disciple of Jesus is one who engages with Jesus and who is constantly associated with him in order that we might learn all he has to teach. I'm going to repeat that. A disciple of Jesus is one who engages with Jesus, who is constantly associated with Jesus in order that we might learn all that Jesus has to teach to us. The key ideas in this definition are engages and constant association. Do not be deceived. You cannot be a true disciple and be disengaged, detached, or disconnected from Jesus. I'm going to say that again. You cannot be truly a disciple and be disengaged, detached, or disconnected from Jesus. If you are those things, you will only ever be a silver-plated disciple. Do not be deceived. A true disciple cannot be occasionally associated with Jesus. Occasional association with Jesus leads to silver-plated disciples. People who have not much value for themselves or for those around them or for the kingdom of God or for advancing it here on this earth. Jesus makes clear, makes that clear when he says, you are truly my disciples if you abide in my word. Abide is active. A true disciple perseveres in the word of Christ, clings to the word of God, is rooted in the word of God. John Calvin writes, Wherefore, whatever progress any of us have made in the gospel, let him know that he needs new additions. Whatever we have, we need more. 
This is the reward which Christ bestows on their perseverance, that he admits them to greater familiarity with him, though in this way he does nothing more than add another gift to the former. It's gift upon gift upon gift from Christ as we read his word. For it is Jesus who impresses his word on our hearts by his spirit. And it is he who daily, daily chases away from our minds the clouds of ignorance which obscure the brightness of the gospel in order that the truth may be fully revealed to us. We ought sincerely and earnestly to endeavor to attain it. Notice as well. That Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. You abide. You and I cannot be passive. We must be active. We have a definition these days, it seems to me, of a disciple that allows for us to be inactive. A definition of disciple that allows us to live our lives apart from a regular rhythm of time with the Lord and time in his word. It seems that somehow we have come to believe that these are the very burdens from which he releases us. But since God's word is life, why would he ever release us from it? And listen to me, I'm not being legalistic here. You must have your daily quiet time. No, legalism is a stench in the nostrils of God. But being dedicated to the Word of God, abiding in it, is not legalism. It's life. It's strength for your day. God gives us the gift of His Word to enable us to make it faithfully through this life and to truly be His disciples. As I said, these words of Jesus are pointed. They make us uncomfortable. And they cut us with the truth. Jesus also says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be cleaned. We cannot be deceived. We must examine our lives. If our lives are devoid of a desire for Christ and his word, if we believe that we can make it through this world, this world, apart from that intimate connection, if we believe those things, then we must ask ourselves if we are a true disciple of Christ and not instead a silver-plated one having the outward appearance but lacking the inward reality. God seeks the inward reality. Let's ask God to show ourselves to us. Let's ask the Lord to not allow us to be deceived. Let's ask the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit to make us more and more like Christ, to see him more clearly so that our belief in him goes deeper and beyond words. 
Let's ask the Spirit of God for the inspiration and the strength and the desire and such a love for Christ that will make us true, believing, abiding disciples. And may God grant by His grace that the belief of each one of us in this room, that the discipleship of each one of us in this room goes beyond the surface, beyond the silver plate. And then imagine, imagine the difference that deeply believing true disciples can make in this world for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us the truth. Lord Jesus, thank you for making it clear to us what true belief is, what a true disciple is. Enable us to be those things. Lord, help us move away, if we were ever there, from a place in which we believe that belief is simple and complicated, that it's just saying a sentence, I believe. It goes so much deeper than that, Lord. Your salvation is a free gift from you to us. We simply believe that and we rest alone by faith in your finished work on the cross. Lord, but then we have to live that out through your word and through the power of your spirit. Make us, we pray, to be true disciples who love you deeply and follow you closely, who are continually connected to you. It's a daily part of our lives. Give us a hunger and a thirst for you, we pray. And then help us to see you through your word as we abide in it. We pray these things because we can't do them on our own. But you can do the medicine through us. We ask that you will in Jesus' name. Amen.